Hello and welcome to Cinema Spectator, a show where, you know, usually an expert in a casual watch movies. But today we're going to go over some of the movies that we watched in 2021. My name is Cameron Tuttle and today I'm joined with Juzo Greenwood. Juzo, how have you been? Uh, very good, Cameron. Thanks for having me. This is kind of a belated end of year discussion, but uh, I think it's a worth A little having. bit. Yeah. Um, well, I, I think one of the reasons, obviously, that we waited was after the Oscars, mm-hmm. um, you know, and there's kind of a in in some ways there, you know, we're we're only just now picking up the 2022 movies. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it kind of still does feel like the end of 2021 in a lot of ways. But, um, you know, especially with the Oscars. But I, I do feel like, um, you know, we're we're slightly late, although um as I noted, a lot of movies end up releasing, you know, that were technically released in 2021, end up releasing in February, you know, to the general audiences and whatever else. So, mm. and, you know, things like things like Coda, which, you know, released on Apple TV Plus really didn't get any buzz or anything until, uh, you know, the Oscars. So right. um, I feel like this is this is a fine time to to have this discussion. Um, sure. But. Yeah. Before we do that, um, have you been watching anything special? Any new movies or uh, anything, anything? Anything notable to report? Did I talk about Linklater's new movie last time? You, uh, I don't know that you did. I, I can't remember. He, he made this movie that's sort of a memory film of his childhood growing up in um, 1969, you know, during in Houston during, you know, the Apollo missions. And the movie's called Apollo Ten and a Half, A Space Age Childhood. And it's a really interesting movie because it's animated and there's almost no story. He just, the movie is just a narrator. It's Jack Black recounting all these memories of very esoteric, specific things of you know, what they ate and the activities they did. And um, it seems like it would be the most boring, mundane thing in the world, but it's it's quite a beautiful movie and and really one of the most beautiful looking movies uh, Linklater's ever made. And Richard Linklater, by the way, is like my favorite filmmaker. He made uh, Dazing and Confused, the before movies, School of Rock, Boyhood. And um, that movie is on Netflix right now. And, it, you know, I think it, like most things on Netflix, probably got buried a little bit. And uh, I would highly recommend uh, checking it out because it's, uh, uh, you know, one of our greatest directors. And you can just watch his movie. If, net- if you have Netflix, you're watching it for free. Um, and it's it, it's worth seeing. Um, in terms of recently, what, what good stuff I was, I just saw a really good movie called Dangerous Liaisons from the 80s. That's with uh, Glenn Close and John Malkovich. Really just well-acted movie. I've been re-watching, I re-watched Inception and Dunkirk uh, last mm. week, which is, you know, just a pl- I mean, Christopher Nolan's probably my second favorite director. And <laughs> um, have we done Nolan episodes on this? I can't remember. No, we, we haven't, actually. Um, we haven't talked about Nolan... Well, the only one we did was uh, was when we saw Tenet, um, oh, right. and I, I forced Isaac to watch Tenet, and I, right. I think he liked Tenet more than I did. I certainly do. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, I, I we haven't really talked about Nolan that much. Uh, I will say we were we hung out a couple uh, like a weekend ago or mm-hmm. whatever, um, and we saw a movie called Everything Everywhere All at Once. Right. Uh, but we were having a discussion about the um about nolan and sort of you know best directors and their worst movies and whatnot right with kurt yeah yeah but we um 
I was saying that Dunkirk has really quickly risen to kind of the top of my list for for Nolan. And um, yeah, what what did you think after the rewatch this time? Oh, I mean, it's it's magnificent. I mean, I, I have a soft spot for Inception, and I think that's still probably my favorite. But in terms of like the most flawless movie he's ever made, it definitely could be uh, Dunkirk. I mean, I just was... That that movie is is just a it's just a series of images. There's it that movie never lets up, and everything yeah. he does he doesn't put a single foot wrong, and but within that he's able to develop the characters in a way which is interesting. Even though they're not there's no backstory, you barely know their names. It's very much the whole movie is in the moment. It's it's almost like a a hundred minute climactic scene of a of a bigger movie, you know. <laughs> yeah. And, but somehow you do get a sense of who these people are and it's just such a moving film and there's some of the, some of the greatest stuff he's ever done. Um, you know, Kenneth Branagh looking in the binoculars, it's gotta be Mm -hmm. an all timer, really just all timer the last 20 years of movies moment. And, um, just, just incredible. And I was looking at some of the behind the scenes stuff too. And the, the whole, the whole thing of, you know, the mounting IMAX cameras on the noses of old (laughs) planes. It's just crazy. And, um, I just, you know, he's just an incredible, yeah, his world as a, as a director is the one I most like inhabiting no matter. And this is why I think I like Tenet because it's just like, yeah, it's a little dumber. The script is not as good, but it's just the Christopher Nolan world the way people talk and the way that everything looks. And, you know, it's, it looks a certain way, maybe because he's colorblind. I don't know, but um, <laughs> I just, I just, just love it. And Inception is always, you know, that's to me is almost like visiting an old friend or something because mm-hmm. I've seen it so many times. And it was such a, you know, a seminal film in my, you know, coming of age in terms of getting interested in movies. And so, you know, this this may precipitate a full a full rewatch to the rest of his movies because he's just um, just fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, I, I mentioned quickly last week that we saw everything everywhere all at once. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, I know we were both kind of mixed on it once we uh, settled from from you know watching it. Um, did you think about it anymore? Uh, any after that? I mean, definitely. It's that movie. I mean, it's a movie where every almost every image of the movie sticks with you. You know, like mm-hmm. I can remember every moment of that movie. But it's like, do I want to see it again? I mean, I do because I want to <laughs> clear my thoughts on the movie. But yeah, it's a tough. I, f- I found it to be a little bit of a tough sit, even though, you know, so many people love this movie, including, you know, a number of the people who we saw it with thought it was fantastic. Um, and it may well be. I mean, it is such a big swing and it's so um, profound in what it's trying to say and what it's trying to do. And it's, you know, it's such a creative movie that you don't want to yes. discount it. Um, but in terms of my... I don't know. I wonder if this is sort of like one of these like Isaac situations, because sometimes he talks about, you know, where he's intellectually responds to a movie, but he like I like he hated watching it, you know, mm-hmm. and I, I wouldn't say I hated watching it, but I, I compared it to like eating like two buckets of ice cream or something, you know, something really delicious. But when you keep eating it and you keep doing it over and over again, yes, it becomes a little like nauseating. Um, yeah, um, I totally I totally agree, actually, with that. Um, with that analogy, because in my, what I was bothered, well, my, my criticism that I said last week was that in a lot of places, especially near the end, 
um, it lets itself kind of get it in its own way because of how much it's set up um, in, in sort of the first half. And and the premise is so unique and interesting and enjoyable to watch that when you get to those character moments later on, um, it's like swallowed by everything that's that's surrounding the movie, surrounding those characters. Right. Um, and I don't think it always works when sometimes it, it does, sometimes they're able to pull it off. But oftentimes I felt myself being distracted from the character moments when something silly or goofy was happening mm -hmm. at the same time, like a, a raw emotional moment was happening. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that was kind of my major point of criticism of the movie. But you're right in that it is um, it is an overload of things and all of them really, really good, but because it's so much, it it really it it it's a hard it's it's a hard thing to to eat. Um, yeah, all and at it, once. And it's by design too. I mean, look, it's in the title of the movie. Yes, but I yes, I just think there are certain things where it arrives at a point, and you're like, oh, I get what this movie is about. It's doing all this sort of fun, you know, creative stuff, but at its core, it's about something very simple. Um, and the the central relationship of the movie of the the mother daughter and the and the mother you know husband wife relationship too is so beautifully realized and so Michelle Yeoh is so wonderful in the movie and 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 short round from Temple of Doom is fabulous like maybe the, my my favorite performance so far of twenty twenty two so good yeah, and so good. you know it's it, that part those parts of it work so much and I was moved by you know I I probably got a little choked up and you know at, towards the end of the movie but it's like they keep then they like they do it again and they do it over and then they cut to something else and i just i was sort of you know it's like putting my fingers to my temples at a certain point of the movie <laughs> even though i was yeah. not not it, pressing generally. your uh, not pressing your bluetooth headset no no uh, not to be confused <laughs> with verse jumping um but yeah i definitely want to see it again and see it with you know uh, my mom is really curious to see it um she really liked the trailer there's a great trailer for the movie um so we'll get back to that. I feel like this could be something we talk about uh, a year from now. Cause even though it's yeah. early in the year, I feel like it's such an acclaimed movie. There's a chance that it might have some legs in terms of um, hmm. maybe Oscars, certainly in terms I, of top I 10 lists. Yeah, I think definitely um, this and, will be an Oscar movie and, I, and partially because it is so unique um, yeah. and unusual in who it stars um, and you know how it's written and, and because it has sort of become a hit, I, I don't know. I didn't look up any box office ratings, but do you know if it's been doing well so far? I, th I think it's been doing pretty well for a small movie. I think it expanded. Um, was it this weekend or where, where, where it just went fully wide? Uh, they've been doing a really slow rollout of the movie to sort of build word of mouth. So I think there's a possibility it, it ends up doing real I, I feel like i might have seen somewhere it was doing better than the michael bay movie which is very interesting um <laughs> well, which i mean yeah which i think you saw right and yeah uh, i did i'll I, talk about that a yeah i just i i you know i hope it does well because it you know it's the type of movie i want to see made you know independent filmmakers yes. Yes. telling their own story on a kind of a large scale which is which is unusual um and you know certainly in terms of oscars again it's like i didn't really like the movie but i would be happy to see them honored and and certainly i would i think like unambiguously should get acting nominations i think michelle yo has she ever been nominated for an acting oscar i mean that's kind of astonishing that that if she has it because 
you know, every movie she's in, even if it's not a good movie, is elevated. But, you know, when she shows up in a Marvel movie or, or Crazy Rich Asians, you know, she's like the best part of the movie. Um, so, I, you know, I'm happy for that, that aspect of it. Um, yeah, she's only uh, been nominated for one BAFTA. So. Oh, really? What, Crouching Tiger? Uh, uh, no, it's uh, Wu, Wu, uh, Wu Hu Kang, Kang Long. Oh, yeah, Crouching Tiger. Oh, yeah. Oh, okay. It was just in the Chinese in the version. Chinese language. The, <laughs> I see. Yeah. Um, well, did you want yeah, to? Yeah, so, well, I, I wanted to mention I did see Ambulance, <laughs> um, the Michael Bay movie, uh, and... Um, I, it's, it's an interesting movie to think about in a lot of ways because, well, for me, I, I like dumb action movies. Um, and I, I really actually enjoy, uh, stepping out of sort of the, the large, you know, uh, philosophical or, you know, indie movies, those kinds Mm -hmm. of things. I think dumb action movies are a lot of fun and can be extremely satisfying. Mm-hmm. Um, this movie was better than I expected, but in a lot of ways, well, okay. One, I like that he is not taking himself too seriously. Michael Bay. Mm-hmm. Um, he didn't take this movie very seriously and it kind of tells in some ways. Um, I don't think a lot of care or attention was paid to, um, well, I think it, it's clear that it was shot on a sort of COVID budget restrained uh mm-hmm. you know one location basically um uh kind of shoot and obviously right. it's not that restrained it's a michael bay movie but <laughs> um it's clear that it was shot in you know in more or less of a a, a you know a small budget for for what he's uh, Known for. used yeah. to probably yeah um and you know it can it can tell you could tell that some things you're like, oh, wow, you only had one take of that. Or, <laughs> you know, um, <laughs> really? wow, that was that right. was really um, terrible looking. <laughs> oh, um, th- things like that. Uh, I think the movie is like kind of visually atrocious um, <laughs> in a lot of ways. And uh. <laughs> um, but they do some some cool things as well. I I, I like some of the FPV drone stuff that they do. Mm. Um Although it's really overused, it's like very much the Michael Bay version of what you would expect <laughs> like an FPV drone is because because in some ways, you know, it's very cool to have it, you know, sweeping over the city and, you know, going in that first person view oh, to wow. like catch up with the ambulance. Yeah. And then in other ways, it's very sickening to watch. <laughs> huh. Interesting. Um, so so it, it, it kind of has those those dual senses. But then at the same time, it's it's obvious that. Michael Bay, he he knows what a feeling of action is, but he doesn't. I don't know that he knows what how to convey the feeling of action through visuals, because there were many times where I was like, wow, this is actually the structure of this. And the the feeling that I get from this is really, really good, really intense. um, And this is like what I want from this scene. And then. But so many of those moments were punctuated by basically um, it it like indecipherable visuals. (laughs) Oh, really? Is it like over edited? Is it you just? Yes. The geography isn't really clear. 
over edited. They were running from one place to another that you don't understand what what's going on. They, you know, people are shooting at each other and things are going on, and it's like incoherent, you know. Huh. But then, uh, but then it, the feeling that you get from the scene is right. It's correct. Huh. But the th- what's happening, you don't understand. There's no, <laughs> there's no through line. It's interesting. So yeah. He's a he's a very strange director. I want I I want to watch some of his movies with you, because um, mm-hmm. I think you have a good basis of you you you're kind of the same as me actually. Is you like the dumb action movies? Kind um, of, kind of. And mm-hmm. you you kind of you know like Mission Impossible and stuff like that. Like those oh, are yeah. those are great well, movies are... and also completely stupid. High um, art in some ways though, <laughs> um, at least the later ones. Uh, but it, but, you know, but I think I think it would be a, an interesting experiment to look through some of his uh, some of his older movies and um, try to decipher what's going on with with Michael Bay. That would be a um, good turning of the tables because I've actually never I have never seen a Michael Bay movie in my entire life, save for like the first ten minutes of maybe Transformers. Um, but I've never watched a movie straight through from him, so it would, this it would be, be like kind of interesting. when you force me to to watch uh, Justice League. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I'd be down for it though, because he isn't. He is a um, a unique case where he's a filmmaker who most people consider to be bad or talentless, but yeah. he is he is an auteur. Like he is, he has yeah. a distinct style that's recognizable. Uh, I that mean, is part, so true. Oh part, part of it is part of it is him. He's aping Tony Scott, I think, who is much better at this kind of like hyper kinetic, uh, super showy style, at least, you know, later Tony Scott. But um, yeah, he's definitely he's very distinctive. And he, I mean, he's probably one of the, you know, less than a dozen filmmakers who is a household name. Like anyone you ask knows who Michael Bay is. Um, so it's yeah, it's in, in a way, it's a blind spot for me. And that's it's one I'd like to. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, dive into that's such an interesting way to put it is uh, you're so right he is an auteur yeah but also because he never he he barely makes like well okay never mind <laughs> but you <laughs> well, know i was gonna say a lot of his movies are original um he kind of mm-hmm. does the one for me one for uh one for the studio thing yeah. but um and then there was the transformers run where he did <laughs> five in a row of you know, yeah. terrible transformers movies. Yeah. but um you know, in in a lot of ways, he does do original ideas and things that he uh, wants to do. I mean, this movie, um, the the movie is basically Speed, so it it's Speed but with an ambulance. Oh, okay, um, I've actually so, never seen Speed either. Well, uh, in, instead of you know them trying to blow up the yeah. you know whatever, um, they're taking a police officer hostage on you know this this crazy uh, police chase throughout L.A. Mm-hmm. Um, so it sounds like a movie that I'd like, honestly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, I I dug the premise when I heard about it, and yeah, I'm definitely going to see it at some point in the next few weeks. So yeah. we can, uh, you know, that'll be your, and discuss. your first your first uh, Michael Bay movie. Wow. Probably, probably. Well, well, uh, I think that's all. I, I did. I mention. I did mention. I saw Dazed. Right. I just got back from seeing Dazed to Confused. Which, if anyone who's listening to this and has not seen Dazed to Confused, just watch that movie. It's it's just wonderful um but i I don't know we don't need to go through every single movie i've seen because i've been watching we'll be here all night (laughs) yeah um well uh the two things that we had in mind for tonight were 
we were going to talk about sort of our top 10 movies of 2021. Um, and then we were going to give our own Oscars. Um, so I, I think, uh, we should start with our top 10. Yes. Uh, but it's, you know, it's up to you. Shoot. Now, now, well, now we have to do the Oscars and now you've mentioned it because I, I let <laughs> Isaac edit that part out because I was, I was thinking the top 10 might go so long that we'd have to nix the Oscars part. Cause well, what last if time we, we did this, it was like two hours. What if we um, think about doing this? We'll tease it. Um, uh, now the Oscars will be, um, a Patreon exclusive. Um, oh, okay. so we'll, we'll add on to, you know, whatever this is. We'll, we'll just do the top 10 then. Oh, okay. <laughs> it's kind of cruel to the listener about, I, yeah, you guys can decide it's your show. Um, well, in terms of top 10, um, should we just, should we just get into it from 10 to one? Yeah, let's do it. Um, um I don't know. Actually, st- no, we don't know each other's lists. So you want no, me to start? Be fun. Yeah, you start first. Okay. So my number 10 is, um, I think it's actually pronounced Titan. I keep calling it Titan. It's 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 spelled like Titan with an E. It's a French movie. Um, is this on your list too, Cameron? It is. Yeah. Okay. What? Where is it on your list? Oh, I can't tell you. <laughs> what, well, no, no. You, we, as we go through, <laughs> you can tell me where. <laughs> okay, it's number nine on my list. So pretty okay. close. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Um, this this film is. Um, from france it's the um oh wow french movies on cameron's list that's definitely a, a first um, <laughs> it is. this it won the palme d'or at the Cannes film festival for i mean not that that means anything but um it's a film in which uh how do i how do we put this a young woman <laughs> um has uh sexual intercourse we're not allowed to swear on the show with a cadillac with a car <laughs> the car has sex with her and uh, we'll see it's consensual between the two of them and um and it impregnates her and she so then it has a very quick um pregnancy it's an ex- i would call it an accelerated pregnancy um <laughs> that that is definitely unusual due to the father of the child being a car um she also is getting into some hijinks and some violence and is sort of going on the run for you know reasons i don't know how much we want to go into spoilers about these but she's she ends up um sort of going into hiding with this kind of older middle-aged guy who's a firefighter. And I just thought this movie was so uh, creative and delightful and um, kind of disturbing, but strangely touching at the same time. Um, It's not really like anything you'll ever see other than, you know, if you see another movie by this director, her name's Julia DeCornow. And she made this movie called Raw about a young vegan girl who uh, develops a taste for, yeah, human flesh and uh, which has a little bit of a similar vibe but um it's definitely a sort of a one of one type of movie yes. uh, especially <laughs> nowadays um and it's just I, I found it to be a delightful film uh cameron uh you also like this movie. we saw this together yeah we did um yeah i think i think you're right that it it goes from being sort of the most disturbing movie you've ever seen to being an, an extremely touching movie about loss and about sort of pain and um, mm-hmm. the grieving process. Um, and it's, it's very strange because you, you rec- like, I was thinking as you were talking about the, the plot of this movie, I was thinking about how it shifts so effortlessly from being this weird, disturbing movie about uh, a car baby 
to mm-hmm. you know a story of sort of a a, a very uh, depressed father mm-hmm. um, who's trying to sort of recapture the time that he's lost with with his right. son exactly um, and and so it's it's so strange how that <laughs> how it juggles those two elements because I think in any other movie and I was you know probably just because we were talking about it but thinking about everywhere everything everywhere all at once um that's a movie that does a a very similar process of juggling so many different things at the same time Mm -hmm. that um it you know titan could easily be uh a movie that falls flat and does not go anywhere because it's Mm -hmm. trying to do too many things but i think what's brilliant about the direction and the writing of the movie is how how it's weaved together in so seamlessly um how you don't even think about uh what's what's happening next and almost the you know the buy-in of the movie what people know about the movie being that you know she gets impregnated by a car yeah um is you know that once you're there you're already in that my headspace you know so anything else that that happens in the movie um you're already you're you're already there. You're you're not gonna be caught off guard necessarily. It, it can f- you you go into it expecting something very transgressive, which it is for a little bit, but it 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 gets into something I think a lot more um, human. This is a tough movie to talk about without really like going to the spoilers, but yeah, um, I just think that the way um, I th- the guy who plays the the um, the firefighter Vincent, I think it's Vincent Lindon, is just so wonderful in the movie and so vulnerable and um, you know, there, there's definitely an aspect of it, of him trying to sort of, you know, um, I guess like recapture his youth and, 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 and as you were saying, kind of recapture the past that he, he, he can't um, get back to. And um, so that, that part of it ends up being very touching. It's also just a beautiful movie and, and it looks fantastic. And mm. um, there's so many, you know, visuals in it that stick with you. And also sounds. It, I, this is a, you don't normally think of sound design when you talk about movies, but this is one where there's lots of uh, pretty gnarly sound effects and things that are enhanced yeah. by just um, the way they're, um, the, 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 the sound and the, the way it's mixed in the movie. So, um, yeah, it's, 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 it's just great. It's definitely, you know, if we're, if we're doing our recommendations, it's, it's, I wouldn't say it's for everyone, <laughs> No, you know, don't, you know, you might be a little, uh, you know, if, if you're, if you if you don't go in with like a weak stomach for certain parts of it, but I think if you're willing to take the chance, you would be surprised that it's, you know, cause like, again, you hear, Oh, having sex with the car, getting pregnant by the car. You're like, Oh, a lot of people just say immediately, no, thank you. But I think a lot of people would be surprised that um, it ends up being something a, a lot more interesting than that, while also being a fun, crazy movie where weird things happen. Well, I'll say um, it's the most wholesome movie about a woman who, getting impregnated by her car. Oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Fair, yeah, by far, I guess. Yeah, it's leading the pack. Um, well, so well, what's your uh, number 10, Cameron? Yeah, my number 10 is Coda. Um, okay. We briefly talked about Coda a couple weeks ago, I think. Um, yeah, this this movie is very um, kind of actually the opposite of <laughs> Titan, but <laughs> yes. um, this movie is very sweet, very wholesome, and um, I think uplifting in a not uh, too saccharine or 
um, you know, uh, preachy way. Um, it, it has, it has a very, I, there's not much I want to say about this movie because it's, it's very simple. Um, mm-hmm. it's, it's a coming of age story. It's a story about growing up and balancing the responsibility of family versus sort of what you want to do, your own dreams. Um, and so it, it handles all of those things neatly, um, very elegantly in a lot of ways. And, mm-hmm. um, is also just a, just a, a pleasant movie to watch. It's, it's really mm-hmm. something that I think, you know, the whole family can sit down and, and get together around. And, um, <laughs> this, this all sounds a little backhand, but it, I agree. It is a very, no, no, it, it's, it is, it's it is quite good. Um, I mean, I think this is, if I may, uh, predict here i i think this is i should note that we we have seen probably a different number of movies each of us last year i i mean uh, i saw about 130 or maybe like 120 you saw about how many like 20 or something 20 something i don't know and I, I i was just wondering like if you had seen as many movies this probably wouldn't be on your list i'm guessing because no for I'm me sure it wouldn't for me it's in like my top like 25 or something like that like it's 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 definitely one of the better movies but it didn't quite make my um it didn't make my top 10 list and yeah i, I mean i'll just say um it the one that could have been replacing it uh was the green knight for me so oh, okay. um that was kind of on the same wavelength uh but i i thought i'd put it in there uh because i think it's um, you know, it deserves a little conversation. I would say it's another like diametrically opposed movie where that that's all like filmmaking and visuals and yes, Coda's yes. like there's no vi- really like visuals or anything to speak of. It's just it's just very straightforward, kind of almost um, like TV movie storytelling. But for, for what it is, I think it's quite good, and I think I think it's a gr- one of the better movies I've seen about the gulf between. Um, parents and children and the communication i mean um is, you know of course accentuated by the, the you know girl uh having deaf parents but being a hearing member of their family and um and you know really well acted i think the father actually did deserve to win best supporting actor he's wonderful yeah. in the movie troy Kotsur. spoilers for later i guess but yeah oh yeah sure sure <laughs> uh, actually no he didn't actually win my best supporting actor but uh yeah he's he's great and um you know, it's 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 a nice movie, and I and I I say that not as a diss. I think that to some people is a is a backhanded thing, but I think it's 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 quite lovely. And um, yeah, and know. and I would say I you know in the same way that I didn't think Green Book was at all the the best movie of mm-hmm, that year, mm-hmm. I was happy with that movie winning because it was nice, it was pleasant. Um, you know, it didn't leave me with any terrible feelings of the state mm-hmm. of the world. And this, this too, you know, I'm like, wow, this is a, this is a great movie. Um, very sweet, uh, and, and wholesome and a mm-hmm. casual watch, but mm-hmm. I, I, I like that it's, uh, I like that it's there. I, I think wholesome movies have a place. Um, mm-hmm. and, and I, I think it deserves to be, to be up here. Yeah. Me. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, uh. It, they both have no business winning best picture in terms of what I think given the rest of the year in movies, but you know, I can see why they did in terms of the Academy. Cause they're just going to respond to that sort of thing more. And 
I don't know. I, I, I did sort of want to not talk about the Academy of the Oscar show itself. So we don't need to get into that because that whole thing is just yeah. is such yeah. a mess. But um, so I guess I'll go to my number nine, um, which I believe is um, I think I put a hero. And now I'm like kind of not certain if I shifted things around a bit. Yeah, I, I put a hero, which is um, this is a film by Osgar Farhadi. Mm-hmm. Oh, by the way, I guess maybe you should say where these like Coda's on Apple TV plus Titan. I think you can rent and a hero. I think is an Amazon prime movie. It is. Yeah. And, um, Oscar Farhadi is an, is an Iranian filmmaker who, as far as I can tell is incapable of making anything less than a really good and often fantastic movie. He makes very, um, kind of theatrical dramas. I mean, in some ways, like, um, not like Coda, because Coda is more neat and more family friendly, but both are not movies. Both are movies I would not um, recommend for their visuals. They're very mm. just straightforward. It's, it, they're movies where the writing is more the thing, the writing and the acting. And this one is about this man who um, I think he's on leave from a debtor's prison. And he, I believe, I think he finds some money or something. And he, he, instead of, stealing it he makes a show of returning it which kind of makes him a local celebrity and and sort of uh kicks off this idea of him being um maybe deserving some kind of leniency when it comes to his his debt and um from there it becomes this really interesting sort of morality play of him um you know dealing with this guy who he owes a bunch of money to and sort of just the idea of the way people are lionized for acts of heroism and how sometimes the reality is shifted a little bit and how, um, you know, media and the, the public's opinion can really sort of, you know, turn and shift on people's lives. And it's, you know, it's one of these movies where you, you watch it for a little bit and you're, and you're, you're sort of piecing things together. And, you know, it's, um, you know, obviously it's an Iranian movie, so there's, you know, you're not familiar with the actors. So you're, you get your footing a little bit. It takes a little while to get your footing. Also, there's just a lot of characters in the movie uh, for figuring out who's who, but by the end of this movie, like all of his movies, um, I found myself just completely riveted. And even though it's just a drama, it was like, it's just like edge of your seat, um, almost a thriller quality to it. And uh, so I think this one, it was very surprising, got snubbed from best foreign language movie because um, he's done very well in that category. And and I think it probably should have won. Well, actually, there's there's a number of things, but I, it was um, what one foreign language? Oh, drive my car. Yeah, I didn't like drive my car as much, though. I think it's pretty good. Um, so, yeah, the, a hero I'd rec- and I'd recommend any Farhadi. He, he made a film called The Past, which is fantastic. A Separation is great. Um, and really any of the last five movies he's made, I would, I would very highly recommend. Um, and I think they, they're more accessible that we talk about accessibility on, on your show a lot. And I think, you know, don't get put off by, you know, the subtitles or whatever. They end up being very, um, just compelling on a gut level, uh, movies. Um, Cameron, I don't think you've seen this one, but no, I, I haven't seen any far hottie movies. So, um, he, he's someone I was, uh, really wanting to see a separation. I actually think at yeah. so at one point it might've been um, assigned in a class or something, um, but we didn't end up watching it. So um, yeah, I, I it's, it's one that's been on my list for sure. Um, yeah. So I'll, I'll add that to that. 
Um, we already talked about my number nine, which is Titan. Mm-hmm. So I will go to my number eight, which is okay. Dune. Um, okay. So we we I think we had a show about Dune, didn't we? Um, yeah, you and Isaac did a. It might have been a Patreon, but yeah. Yeah, um, Dune. I think is uh, a lot of ways. Uh, well, in I guess. To me, Dune is a little bit incomplete in that I want to see where it goes um, right. to kind of have a final evaluation. Because sure. in my mind, the first this you know first part of Dune was very excellent, uh, but it does kind of a thing that I that I don't like in movies most of the time, which is leave you basically feeling like it's not it's it, you know like when a TV episode ends. Um, and it's wanting you to go, you know, watch the, the next <laughs> yeah. episode. It yeah, does the same thing that, that, that kind of does. Um, not so much cliffhanger, but, but more so yeah, like it doesn't it. leave you like a complete story, um, mm-hmm. within itself. So, um, that, that was the kind of the only thing that bothered me about the movie because it feels so vast and large and it, you get this, um, sense as a sci-fi movie, that's kind of what a lot of people are hungry for um, is the feeling of being sort of wholly transported into a new universe. And I, I love the fact that it uses sort of the, the universe element um, to make you see that there's sort of this, this global politic um, or this, you know, universal politic that's, that's orchestrating things in one way or another that people are being pitted against each other. But then there's a local uh, politic that is much smaller scale and you, and you finish the movie with that local politic being sort of at the forefront of the movie. Um, and obviously, uh, you know, Dune, I think the source material probably has, uh, um, well, it, it, it's a pioneer in that, um, you know, as, as sci-fi goes, it, I think it really helped a lot of, uh, the, tr- the sort of tropes that we think of as mm-hmm. sort of these big sci-fi, um, epic stories. Um, but at the same time, when you look back at it, there have been lots of revisions to that so far. So I don't feel like we lean too much on the space Jesus element anymore. Um, <laughs> and uh, you know, it, it, I think the original source material does a little bit, although I appreciate, uh, no spoilers, I guess, but I appreciate where that, where this movie leaves off, um, mm-hmm. in his telling his story. So I think that's really interesting. Um, all the little details are so fun and unique to think about. Um, and you know, the the different cultures and sort of how they're how they're visually represented um i think villeneuve is one of the best visual filmmakers around um and so Mm -hmm. he was he was totally the right choice to do this um though i will say i would love for him to go back to making smaller scale i say this about every director (laughs) so um (laughs) you know it doesn't i guess no changes here but um, I would love for him to make something like Prisoners again, like sort of a straightforward thriller, um, something yeah. that's very, uh, very small in scope compared to to the last these last couple of movies that he made, which are much, much bigger. Um, yeah. And even I mean, I, even Arrival yeah. is like a, a a smaller scale movie or mm-hmm. sci fi movie around the same talk, topic. But, you know, he's he's just blown up so much that um 
I want his feet back on the ground a little bit, but yeah, <laughs> it's, it's tough for those guys to go back. Cause it's like so many people, um, or so few directors have the ability, have the resources that these guys have to make these huge scale movies, especially yeah. at an auteur level. And, um, you know, you, you don't really want to like give up the keys to that, to that <laughs> ability. But, um, I mean, I, I like Dune quite a bit. I would say I, it, it would, it wouldn't come close to my top 10 list, but, um, I saw it a number of times and, um, on a technical level, it's astonishing. And when I did my Oscar list, I actually did all 20, whatever categories just for fun. And that one had, you know, like the third most nominations just because in terms of, um, production design and especially visual effects, this, this movie has some of the greatest, you know, combination of practical and computer generated visual effects I've ever seen. Um, the, the scale of the, Mm -hmm. I, I just, I, I feel like I've become numb to, uh, to visual effects in movies, you know, even when now that we can kind of do anything, there's it becomes kind of um, not that exciting to see, you know, ships flying through space. It's so commonplace. But this is the first movie I feel like in a very long time where maybe since like Inception, actually, where it feels huge and it feels when you see those ships taking off, it feels like a giant ship. And, you know, it seems like that, like that would be obvious, but it's it's so rare for me to feel that in movies. And, and I would also say that this movie has maybe one or two of my favorite scenes of 2021, the whole sequence, the rescue of the, um, sand crawler when the worm is coming towards them and the music that they use in that is so, so good. Um, I think for me, it's just the movie peters out a little bit in like the last half hour. And, you know, again, I think this is partly because of the you know, anticlimactic nature of the movie being half of a book. And believe me, having seen the original Dune, um, that was the right decision because you could, you feel in that movie where it's going along kind of, Oh, this is okay. And then it just takes a nosedive <laughs> where David Lynch is like, Oh crap. I have to just shove the rest of this book into 30 minutes. And it's just a disaster. Um, though in a way I'd recommend the old Dune just as an interesting, you know, curio. Um, and there's some cool stuff in it, but yeah, I definitely, it's definitely, um, I, I like Dune less than the last five or so Villeneuve, uh, movies and, and Blade Runner, I thought was his, I mean, that's, that's my favorite movie he's made Yeah. yet. So, but I'm, I'm, look, I'm very excited for the, the second part and it might with a more conclusive ending be a, a more satisfying movie to me. Um, yeah. And yeah, yeah I d- definitely have to give him props. Um, Okay, so that was your eight. Yes. Um, so my number eight. <laughs> well, I'm I'm sort of um, deviating from what technically is a movie, <laughs> but I think in this day and age, the thing about it is so many great filmmakers are moving to do TV series and especially miniseries that I feel like a a miniseries to me is almost indistinguishable from a very long movie at this point. I never. I don't need to justify this because it's kind of BS. I mean, it's, it's not. A it's movie. okay. It's okay. But I'm gonna do it anyway because because I just thought it was so good. Is um, Spike Lee, one of my favorite filmmakers, <laughs> made a very long. I think it's eight. It's like eight hours. I think it's four two-hour episodes called NYC Epicenters. I think the full title is NYC Epicenters, nine eleven to twenty twenty one and a half, and so it sort of covers 
the history of, of the last 20 years of New York City, but really focusing on in the first two episodes, the pandemic in New York City and some also, um, you know, 2020 and 2021 history that kind of is outside of New York City, like the the whole Capitol January 6th thing is also covered. There's some extra New York stuff. And then in the, the second two parts, it is about 9-11 and you know, response to 9-11. And I don't know, man, in, in typical Spike fashion, the first two episodes in particular are all over the place. And it's in some ways like a total mess. And he has such a I mean, I kind of respected HBO for giving him the freedom, at least <laughs> until they made him edit out the conspiracies in the last episode, which I was not <laughs> happy about. I think they they literally forced him to. I'm pretty sure. I don't think he wanted that to happen. But I was I, I'm happy he got the freedom to just do whatever because he goes on such tangents and you know he inserts himself into the film and anecdotes and like goofy um, side tangents into like sil- just like silly things. There's a montage of like you know just all like montages into other stuff, references to other movies. Um, he, it's, he's such a, a filmmaker with like no restraint in terms of his instincts to do silly, goofy things, uh, at least in the, in the, in the first, you know, couple sections, but still it is the, that first half of the documentary is, is a, is a nice portrait of New York um, during COVID and also talks about like, the George Floyd and like black lives matter and that kind of stuff. And there's definitely, I feel like he could have gone deeper on certain things. And like politically, I think, you know, the, the show is less adventurous than what I would be interested in. It may be less complex that that might just be spikes politics being less complex. Um, but, but when he gets to the stuff about nine 11, man, that the episode where he focuses on the play by play of everything that happened is probably one of the best things he's ever done as a filmmaker and it was so so powerful and like he interviews so many people there's he just bouncing all these different interviews off each other and it all flows together and it was just a brilliant um sort of documentation of 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 that event and then then another two hours sort of following up on the aftermath of that much like how um spike documented the aftermath of Hurricane Katrina in uh, When the Levees Broke, which is probably one of the great um, films or film projects Spike has ever done. So it's definitely, it's flawed, but it's also magnificent. And it's, um, I just have respect for him as an artist, you know, having such little sort of restraint and having just such um, desire to, um, to be creative in the way he shows things. And, um, I don't know. I, I know there's people who who write off Spike either because his work can be inconsistent, though he actually makes so many films that he basically makes a good film every year. So even if he has a bad film, it's like six months later and he'll have a good film. Um, but, you know, people write him off because, you know, you don't he's not like, um, you know, Christopher Nolan, where every movie is good, you know, Um and I think people write him off but also like politically or, or certain people will, depending on where you are. And um, I don't know, frankly, I, all I, I even though this film is definitely a film, it's not a a political film. It is not a film without a political point of view. I would have to say I I am not really interested in objective political objectivity when it comes to a great filmmaker. I'm much more interested. I'm much more interested in the delusions of a great artist mm. than a, the truth quote unquote of 
a mediocre artist. And um, so many documentaries are just delineations of the facts. You know, here's all the things that happen. They're basically visual Wikipedia pages. So I, I think it's a breath, breath of fresh air to have this great, one of our great living filmmakers tell the story completely on his terms and and do it beautifully i mean there's just great film filmmaking and the editing of it and the the music he uses is so powerful and some of the things i think may test people's patience but but at its best when he's really taking it seriously because he he's, he kind of cools off the goofing off when it's 9 11 you know sure and it, it becomes really um just phenomenal filmmaking so nyc epicenters it's on hbo um that's that's my number eight. <laughs> okay. Um, uh, my number seven. Which you didn't see. Yeah. Um, my number seven is Nightmare Alley. Um, oh, and okay. this is one that I was, uh, I probably wouldn't have put it up so far, um, after just seeing it. But thinking about it after a while and sort of digesting it, it's it's definitely become one of my favorites of of last year and partially i think in the same way that you were talking about um everything everywhere um it's a movie that leaves you so stuck with visuals um and so stuck Mm -hmm. with sort of um a vision in your mind um and in in my at what one of the reasons i love it is because it's it's such a clear throwback to um, you know, the noir filmmaking of the, the forties and fifties and, mm-hmm. um, and a brilliant one too. I mean, it, it's not, it's not over the top in, in how it, um, I mean, I guess it is a little bit, but stylistically it's, it's, it's very over the top. Um, but it, in some ways it recaptures, it doesn't feel like a facade. It doesn't feel like a, um, you know, like it's it's planted over this movie. It feels very integrated in in how the movie is structured and the quirks and the characters and how everybody talks and interacts. Um, I love the I love how straightforward it is, too. Um, it's very much mm-hmm. a simple um, uh, morality tale and. Mm-hmm. Um, which is, I guess, a little surprising for, for Del Toro because he's, I think, um, in a lot of his other movies, he's, he's kind of contemplating good and evil and sort of talking, you know, going through those things. But this is very much in the style of a, of a noir film back in the day, you know, where they would be restricted in some ways of, you know, good and evil. Um, it, it feels so much like that. It feels like a Hawks movie or, a um, you know, a wilder noir and, and it, I don't know, I, I love how, um, how f- fluid it feels from going from, you know, one setting to another, um, and how much, it, like how much land is traversed basically. Um, mm-hmm. and it's a super long movie. It's like two <laughs> and a half hours, but I, I don't know. It flew by for me. So I, I, I really, really enjoyed this movie. Um, and you know, I kind of, I kind of want to watch it again cause there's so much, I think that, um, is, is so beautiful and, uh, very unusual about this movie. Yeah. I, I, I was, I think when I saw it the first time I was a little, like I, I might've dozed off or something. And, and I, I actually went and saw it again 
and and liked it a lot more and and just in in memory the film is is definitely rising in my estimation it's not it's not it wasn't really like a runner up for my list but i it's a very impressive piece of work it looks incredible the yeah. performances in it are just fantastic i love particularly richard jenkins as the old rich guy who kind of shows up later in the movie i just think his his work with del toro between this and shape of water is just fantastic and um yeah, I mean, it's such a bleak movie. And actually, I, I grew up with, to have some more, more appreciation of the movie by seeing the 1947 film on which it's based, because that film is about 90 or 100 minutes. And I do think the Del Toro one is too long. Like, it's for the story that it's telling. It's it's a little bit excessive and it's a little bit slow. But I think that's a worthy sacrifice for the amount of development he gives um, the the main character who Bradley Cooper plays in, in the new one. And I think it's, it's a far superior film to the, to the forties one, which is not, you know, it is, a, is a impressive in parts movie. Um, and also it, by far a much more, um, satisfying ending. I, I think the, uh, the, the filmmaker in the forties definitely copped out a little bit with the, the bleakness of the film and of, of what, of what the film should be about. And Del Toro, does not in the end of this movie it is a it is an impactful ending and um and so just well pulled off by cooper so yeah it's it's that's that's one i i like to revisit uh and i would recommend certainly yeah and i think you know i don't know i i love the style of the movie i think it's so it's so wonderful um and that's kind of what i like about all del toro movies in in a lot of ways you know more than anything i i like his his vision um and his style and i, I think it's I, it's clearly the same here so yeah I, I dig his new was that shot digitally i think i think it was yeah I, yeah his his new sort of greenish um kind of greenish almost like underwater aesthetic he's done for the last two movies i i really like um i don't know if i say like more than his his um, like Pan's Labyrinth there, which of course looks wonderful, but there's something about this kind of sickly, but also kind of smooth quality of, of those last two movies that I really, I really dig. And I, I really, I like the shape of water quite a, quite a bit. Again, had no business winning best picture in the same year as Dunkirk. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, um, but it's a cool movie. I mean, it's, 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 it's probably my favorite that I've seen by him so mm. far. Um, yeah. I think this, I like this better than, uh, than shape of water but oh really? um yeah i mean also the fact that this movie along with many movies this year um just totally uh got whooped at the box office i mean this yeah. this was like this Oof. is a disaster of, a, yeah, that <laughs> of was, an opening i don't know what they were thinking or maybe that's what they were thinking is disney disney's intentionally screwing over fox searchlight because they knew they're putting it out the same year as Spider, at the same weekend as Spider Man. Yeah, I exactly. mean, they did that on purpose. Yeah. So you know, the conspiratorial part of my mind is like, are they trying to like make a point about auteur filmmakers and about that you know pushing their their um, Fox Searchlight brand into more franchise material? Like, I don't know. I don't want to you know be sound like a you know you know Lee, Lee Harvey Oswald wasn't the only shooter or whatever. But I I do think there's a little bit of a mishandling certainly the movie I mean, we're very lucky we got the grand lake ran it downstairs i can't believe as a business decision it was so insane i but, mean we were like the um, only ones there so <laughs> yeah yeah but, was, but yeah i was to rough. be to be fair um to 
I mean, not that I have to defend <laughs> Disney and you know whatever, mm-hmm. but yeah. um, to to be fair, they are completely different audiences. So it's not it's not inconceivable oh, yeah. that maybe in a normal year, um, uh, it could do well in you know uh, up to next to a, a sort of bigger um, superhero movie. It's not it's not you know it's not too far off to say that in 2019 it probably would have done just fine and you know would have would have made its money back but uh, yeah you know, i mean to be year. clear i don't think i wouldn't say it would have it's not like it would have been like a movie that makes a billion dollars if no, it hadn't no, been no. put against <laughs> spider-man it's it's a it is a dark and definitely um more esoteric movie and 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 um yeah, yeah, it's not a mainstream hit. Maybe it should have been a streaming movie. I don't know. I don't really, I don't quite have my handle on how these well, things should be. But uh, in it, any case, you can watch it now on HBO Max yeah, and yeah. or rent it. And it's it's. We're gonna say something. Sorry. No, I was just gonna say. I mean, it it was a it was a really big budget movie. So, um, I I don't I also don't know how much that impacts sort of where it gets distributed. But I mean. Mm-hmm. $60 million is not cheap by any means. So, yeah. Um, yeah and true. to, to make basically nothing at the, <laughs> you know, at the box of domestically, I think it made like $4 million or something. It, was, it did so oh bad. God. So, um, yeah. Yeah. That's rough for Guillermo, yeah. but I'm sure he'll, he's very liked in the industry and seems like a nice guy. So hopefully he'll, he'll bounce back. Um, should I go to my number? Am I at number seven? I think you are. Yeah. Um, so my number seven, again, I'm, I am sort of cheating and doing another mini series. Um, but I'd be remiss if I did not put, um, Peter Jackson's Beatles documentary, the Beatles get back on my list. Uh, Cameron, I don't think you've watched the whole series, but we no. went and saw the last episode or we saw the concert, uh, section of the film at the, um, at the, in IMAX, um, which is, is this on your, did you end up putting this on your list or not? It sure is. Oh, is it really? Yeah. Is it your number one? <laughs> it is my number one. Yeah. Ah, I thought it might be. Yeah. Yeah. This, I mean, it's a little tough because seeing just the concert is very different than watching the whole series. And I think <laughs> if I had just seen the concert, it would have probably been higher because the series, it is, a, it can be trying to get through because it's just, it's very long. And it can be boring because he's giving you the experience of just sitting there in the studio with them for hours and hours of rehearsing, playing the same songs. But as a window into the creative process, it is an extraordinary thing. And even though I'm not so crazy about the whole thing of uh, resizing the footage and uh, removing the grain, like I don't really dig that in general, the ultimate effect of it is a very intimate experience of spending time with the Beatles and just sort of um, watching them hang out and um, and just a very complex view of their um, camaraderie with each other. You know, there was a reputation that even like McCartney himself bought into that this album was this disastrous thing and was so unpleasant to work on. And then Peter Jackson rolls out this footage and McCartney watches it and and the whole world watches it and goes, hey, actually, you know, there had some arguments like it wasn't a perfect relationship. And they definitely you can feel John, Paul and George kind of wanting to go their own ways. But at the same time, it's it's a very mostly it's a, just a very pleasant thing of guys hanging out and being creative. And you get to see the songs workshopped from just their infancy. And it's such an extraordinary 
um, kind of like once in a lifetime thing. And, um, and then it all culminates in what we both saw, which is the concert on the rooftop. And I mean, you can, you can take it from there, Cameron. What, what did you think watching the concert? And yeah. no, I, I mean, I think it's, it's the maybe, I mean, it's one of the most incredible things I've seen, um, in many years. I, it's, it's, it's genuinely, um, a window into, well, okay. I'll, I'll just say it, it is not fair that I have this on my list because it was a one-time event in IMAX that literally nobody else is going to be able to experience. So it's not yeah. that fair. I shouldn't, I shouldn't put it up there. Um, I really shouldn't, but, but well, the experience, if it's your favorite, yeah. I mean, I, I was, I was crying within the, like the first 10 minutes because it, it is so, um, genuinely transcendent. I mean, it, it is a, a window back into, um, you know, 1969, it's a window back into this very small time period that, you know, it was basically a blink and you miss it event, um, in Mm -hmm. the same way that, that the IMAX version was. Um, (laughs) and in a lot of ways it, it's, uh, I, I said this to you, Juzo, but I, it, it's probably better than, than being there. Um, at the time, <laughs> you know, see, yeah. at least seeing it on IMAX was because there's something so, um, special about getting to see everything that's happening in such intimate detail, being able mm-hmm. to, to follow the through line of, um, you know, from sort of the, the very beginning, the very opening notes where everybody's looking around and seeing, you know, what's happening and, um, you know, oh, and then people realizing, you know, that it's the Beatles and then the police, uh, you know, shutting it down eventually. And it's such a, it's, there's, um, the storytelling I think is what's most genuinely, um, interesting about the movie because it, it, it has this, um, it has this very clear narrative um, and it's so not dramatized, but it feels like a thriller, <laughs> you it know, it does. It does. It's so dramatic. I mean, it's the, to me, it's the most dramatic and exciting um, music sequence since the ending of whiplash. Yeah. And it literally yeah. feels that exciting <laughs> because, because there's this element of, it's like the last stand of this band and also, you know, watching it after the, the other episodes, it's also them snatching victory from the jaws of defeat. Cause you, yeah. you're like, how are they going to write these songs in a month or however, very small amount of time to write a whole album. And then they do it and they kill it. And it's, it's not just that it's a great band and the, you know, like some of the greatest music ever written being performed. It's the way Jackson edits the thing yes. and the way he uses split screen. I mean, that's, that's gotta be, is that maybe the best use of split screen? like in any movie. Yeah, I, I think mean, so. I mean, it really, it really might be. I, the, the whole, the, cause he's showing you the people on the ground interviews with people. It's all synced up perfectly with the music and, and then watching the process of the police coming up stairs or, or being stalled downstairs <laughs> by their staff. Yeah. And it's, it's so funny and so exciting and the joy that you see on McCartney's face when he realizes the cops have finally <laughs> arrived on the roof is maybe the highlight of any movie this year. Um, and it's just, and I say this by the way, as I mean, I like love the Beatles, obviously as any sane person does, but I wouldn't say that I was like a fanatical 
I'm not like a person who knows every song or is, you know, you, you end up just knowing most of the songs through osmosis, like you can't yeah, escape it. Yeah. Um, and you know, obviously some of their songs are amongst my favorite ever, but I wouldn't say I was like a huge Beatles fan. And then I watched this movie and now I'm like, Oh yeah, I'm, you know, like one of the groupies. Like I like, <laughs> Oh, I love, I love Paul. I want to look just like him. He's so cool. Um, and just seeing them all, you know, all together. And, um, I mean, it's, and it's also just melancholy too. Cause you're like, wow, you know, this, in, in like what, 10 years, you know, John McCart, uh, John Lennon would be killed. And, um, and of course that was their last performance ever. Um, yeah. there's, there is a kind of a, you know, like a once upon a time in Hollywood kind of feeling to yes. when you watch it yes. where it's, you're overjoyed watching it, but you know, it's, it's also the end of something. Yeah. And, and that is kind of what reinforces the fact that I think it's like better than being there. Um, is that you, you get this, this window, um, into sort of their final moments narratively, you know, and, and, you know, their, their last live performance, which is documented in the most like excruciating and amazing detail. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's incredible that what footage they have and, and sort of how, uh, how it's structured and how it's laid together. I loved, um, you know, in the IMAX event, because it was one showtime, uh, Peter Jackson, like, Skyped in, basically, live. And, and yeah. um, he was showing the, he had, like, his iPad of all of the, <laughs> all of the synced video uh, from the concert. And it, right. and it was just, like, that's another one of those moments where you're like, wow, this is, um, like, you have... He has something very, very special there. Um, very, and you have to give special. the guy, the guy. I mean, Jackson obviously props for putting the whole thing together, but but also the guy who directed the the film originally in 1969, because most of the and and this is why you gotta watch the whole show, because most of it is so funny watching this guy get dunked on, because he this this director Michael Lindsay Hogg. He thinks he's so brilliant. I think he might be the illegitimate son of Orson Welles. And he certainly acts like it because he has all these ideas and he has such self-confidence around these like iconic guys who are very nice to him. And he has all these ideas and they're kind of like humorously like they're just kind of humoring him and uh, but but usually ignoring all his ideas. Um, but you got to give him props for, you know, rolling that many cameras and, and getting that much great footage all at once. I mean, the forethought he had. Um, I mean, it's, it's such a shame that the movie he ended up making in that year was an 80 minute film. You know, there's no way you could encapsulate all that footage and all that, um, you know, all the different things that happened in that time um, in 80 minutes. And I forget how long the, the Jackson thing is, but it's it's, it's, like it's worth watching the whole thing. Something, something like yeah, that. yeah, at least. And um, I would recommend watching the whole thing. Cause there's a satisfaction of getting through the kind of it, occasional dull drums. I wouldn't say it's that boring cause you're watching the Beatles. I mean, you're watching them, right. You know, <laughs> let it be. You're watching them, right. Get back. I mean, yeah. how boring could that be? And then the satisfaction of getting to that concert, which is just great in and of itself, but to, to then feel the triumph of that moment is so great. I mean, maybe this should be even higher on my list now that I'm thinking about it. Cause I'm like, this really is extraordinary. It's just that in the moment when you watch it, sometimes it's a little dull. I think it was a perfect Thanksgiving release mm-hmm. because for think to watch it with your family over Thanksgiving and, and, uh, or during Christmas as my family did, it is a really nice, and I don't see this about 
almost any movie, but it is a nice kind of like aquarium almost to have on where you can kind of like watch it and kind of you're commenting on things. And me and my brother are making jokes about, you know, Ringo or whatever. And you just, it's, it's, it's a really nice just kind of vibe to, to hang out with these guys. And, um, you don't need to watch everything with intense focus. You know, you, you can kind of just enjoy it, um, in a, in a casual sort of way. Um, Though there is great artistry to the way it's it's put together, so. And if you don't want to uh, watch just, all the boring stuff, just skip to the to the final concert because it's the best sure. thing ever. <laughs> sure, sure, but I think that yeah, I still think there's a lot of cool stuff in the in the whole thing. Um, I'm sorry, by the way, I didn't since I didn't know your list, I would have maybe left this to the end. I but, know spoilers um, for my number yeah, one. Get, I, get to your you know early on your your number one, but I think our number your number two is probably my number one. So probably. We'll get to that. Um, so then what is your number seven? Uh, I did number seven. I'm at number six now. Oh, sorry. Um, yeah. I have The Last Duel. Um, oh. And I think this movie, it's a it's a crying shame that uh, they made fun of this movie about how <laughs> um, nobody went and saw it because it's just not fair. It, it's, a, it's, it's a beautiful movie, for one. Um, I mean, it just looks, uh, gorgeous and stark, um, and, and like extremely high production value. I don't know what it is about this movie, but it like, I, I mean, I guess it was extremely high production value. It was like a yeah. hundred million dollars, but lost a lot of money. Yeah, yeah. It looks like a, like a, just a stunning movie. I mean, there's, there's something about it. Um, but at the same time, I think more than, the sort of action set piece that it's and you know medieval conflict um thing that's happening throughout it um i think the acting is really where it takes the cake and not just the acting but i think it's extremely well written too and props mm-hmm. to um to affleck and uh matt damon for mm-hmm. you know obviously nicole holof senior what holof center yeah, yeah um she's I think she kind of spearheaded the project in a lot of ways, but, um, you know, credit. Oh, no, no, she was actually, they brought, they brought her on. Actually, oh, really? As okay. to, to have a kind of a, you know, a, the perspective of a woman right, right, right. on the thing, which is very important for this type of movie, yes. actually. But, um, but, but I mean, props to, to the three of them, because I think, I think genuinely, um, it's, it's an extremely well-written movie and the perspective shifting the sort of, uh, the way that it's, that it, you know, the subtleties of the story and, and sort of how uniquely it's put together. Um, it's way better than Rashomon in my, uh, <laughs> estimation. I agree. Actually. Um, but, uh, and, and in a lot of ways, you know, Rashomon for me, like I, I give it a little bit of a bad rap because it's a, it's a simple movie, um, that is about something extremely, uh, deep and, and hard to, to, to contemplate right um and yeah. and the the i hate the conclusion of rashomon because it's like well i guess we'll never know <laughs> well, and and there's something I'm... there's something very um disingenuous about that uh that but ending that's okay i don't know that part's okay to me because it's like that's okay for the point of the story and this this movie is very different in that it's they make a point even on screen of saying this is the truth, yes, yes. which does undercut the whole Rashomon kind of idea because Rashomon is about uncertainty. And, and by the way, we're, and we're really not making we're going to win any favors by dissing Rashomon. It's like one of the <laughs> most beloved movies. But I do agree that I, I, I think there's a flaw in the Rashomon movie that 
it's not really about changing perspective. Like the different perspectives are completely different things. Yes. They're com- yes. They, they, they are seeing the 100%. situation not, not from different sides, but like they're just imagining different things, which I guess in its own way is interesting. And like, I haven't seen the movie in a long time, so I should be a little careful about <laughs> dissing it too much. But this movie, the subtlety with which they portray the, um, the differences in, in the, um, in how in how this this woman's assault is is portrayed is so brilliant because it's it's they're very very small and you almost don't realize them the first time you watch it but they they take you into the mind of the mindset of the different characters particularly of the the victim and the the rapist and i've never seen cuz cuz i don't know if i've ever seen a movie that is so brave i i would use the word brave to portray to actually want to get inside the mind of the rapist, because of course any filmmaker who makes a, f- a film about sexual assault is going to want to take the side of the victim. Right. And of course they're going to empathize with the victim just and naturally. It, and it does. I mean, the movie does take the side of, of, of the no, 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 um, it, of course. But I'm saying that the to to then show how this rapist to show his self justification for it and how, and, and, and by a greater extent, showing how people who do these heinous things, how their minds are like broken. Yes. It was such yes. a powerful thing because because I think it's there's a tendency with these sort of things to just be like, oh, they're a bad person, like to just sort of pass them off in a different way. And of course, they are a bad person. But there's a there's a, a lack of um, complexity that most people have when they think about that sort of thing because they don't you don't want to think about them you don't want to think about someone who does something so heinous as um you know a complex human being but to show how those things take place i think is so valuable and and actually more valuable than just because anyone can say this is bad like we all know it's bad anyway if you're not a horrible rapist yourself everyone knows it's this is a horrible thing to do to another person but to to get inside the mind of someone like that was so fascinating yeah and i think i think the way that it that it handles that is is very um it's very elegantly done um it does not uh it's very clear on what's going on and and what the what the truth is and sort of you know the victimization element of it you know it doesn't it doesn't pull any punches when it comes to that and it's not as if you're sympathizing with with legree um you know, you're, no. you're very much, uh, against him and, you know, he, he's, he's the villain of this, one of the villains of the story of, for mm-hmm. sure. Um, but then I, th- I think it's also interesting how, um, you know, uh, Matt Damon's character, you know, you start with him and you sort of start as his, um, you know, at his side and his perspective also shifts throughout the movie as well. Not, not just, um, you know, because you're seeing it from from Adam Driver's perspective, but you know, you see from from the wife's perspective, um, his own uh, his own flaws and and in a personal relationship level, you know, and and sort of how um, in in some ways he's he's very petty. Um, where in the first portrayal of the story, the first thing that you get is is how heroic he is and how yeah, you know how yeah. much he he protects and you know stands up for his wife and and you know there's there's all these little elements that are working sort of in 
conjunction that really make the movie work so well. I, I think it just is is a, a brilliantly done movie, and it's a sh- it's a crying shame that that people did not see this movie because it's, it's, it's a, so it's, good. Yes, it definitely speaks to 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 um, something not very good about the state of movies. That a movie with these big stars and <laughs> this great this is by Ridley Scott, like one of our great directors, making a great movie at like eighty three years old, and he's you know not recognized by the Oscars. This this movie, by the way, is not on my list. It would probably be my like eleven or twelve. Though. In fact, if I wasn't cheating and putting miniseries <laughs> on here, it probably would be on my list. Um, but I think, yeah, and, and Damon, it's just like perfect. Like Damon as this guy, because Damon can seem heroic, but he can also seem like a total jackass. And, <laughs> and he's dumb, just perfect. And, and like kind of dumb. Yeah. yeah. Dumbass. And like, oh my God. And 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 then, of course, Jodie Comer, who plays the, the woman, his wife, is probably one of the most moving performances of the year. Maybe my favorite performance of any movie, or at least first or second favorite. Yeah. Um, She's just incredible. You know, of anything that should have been nominated, it should have been her. I mean, she should have won um, Best Actress. And I think, yeah, it's, it's just such a smart movie. And it's also just great spectacle, too. The whole the whole build-up to the duel itself. The duel itself is so well done and gnarly and just brutal. Yeah. And, you know, even, even this late in his career, Ridley is not... Um, it, he's not gone soft as a filmmaker. No. I mean, there is some like it's 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 impressive uh filmmaking and and um, and one other thing that really bothers me about the the uh, i i still can't get over the that joke i i think it's like the worst thing that happened at the oscars (laughs) um but the the um this movie is um is a clear depiction of in a lot of ways, you know, the, the complaints of the Me Too movement. And it's a very clear, uh, it's, a, it's, it's sort of this distillation of, of how everybody feels about sort of sexual assault mm-hmm. and, and the way that it, you know, gets sort of this, this big drama around it and whatever else. Um, and it, it's an extremely pro-woman movie, a, a very... Uh, you know, pro victim movie in a lot of ways and, um, Mm. is, is clearly coming on the side of, of advocating for, for victims, not by pretending to be heroic, but, you know, actually doing things that, that will, you know, lead to change. And, you know, what does it get for it? Um, a joke about how nobody saw it you know, because that's, that's what Hollywood does, you know? Yeah. And it, well, that's a great, that's a great point about how it's, 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 you know, as a movie, you know, know, I'm not sure how much it was, it was conceived as a direct response to the me too stuff, but it definitely for obvious reasons has parallels. But again, it it just makes me appreciate the aspect of the movie being so uh, nuanced and, and taking, taking a route that is not, it could have gone so, much the simple way yes. of just here's the story of a victim here's the story of like here's a sad thing that happened and instead it's it is such a powerful deconstruction of the behavior of the rapist but also just the behavior of society and of the the her husband and how um how his response to it is sort of just like an exacerbation of the whole issue and and it's interesting because the movie doesn't at all hinge on the whole idea of believing women or that sort of thing it's it's not really about that it ends up being much more about um 
it it being like a, a no win situation for her. Yeah. Um, and and also by the way, lending her a lot of humanity and complexity outside of just being a victim of something bad happening. They 100%. they he he and the and the writers spend a lot of time with her character and um her, her uh you know aspects of her life and her and also just the complexity of uh, how her feelings about what she wants to happen how how it changes from wanting justice to kind of being like i just want this whole thing to be over with and i think it's it's just such a powerful movie and i think will grow with every viewing um that every viewing i have of it yeah and and pro- probably at this point it's, it's in my top three ridley movies actually mm. uh, which is which is saying something totally um, yeah your number six Okay, my number six is a film called Emma, and that's Emma with one M. Um, it's from, I think technically it was premiered in 2019, but it's, um, and then it's, it's, it kind of got counted on some 2020 lists, but I kind of called BS on that because it got a one-day release on movie, <laughs> and I was just like, I saw this in theaters, it got a proper release in 2021, and it was just fantastic, so I'm going to count it in this one. It's by Pablo Lorraine, who... I have not liked a single movie this guy has made. He made um, Spencer also this year, which is about uh, Princess Diana, which was, um, and Jackie, uh, about Jackie Kennedy. And both of those were very similar movies, these kind of, um, he's kind of trying to be Kubrick a little bit, I think. Very, (laughs) very uh, kind of, they're attempts to be deep explorations of these women kind of victimized women's lives. But I think it goes, it's like the opposite of the last duel. It goes down the route of just kind of saccharine. And I mean, at its, at its worst, Spencer reminded me of like student films I might've made in high school. You know, it was kind of embarrassing, even though it's beautifully, they're beautiful looking and, and um, he, you know, he's a director of some talent. So it was a real surprise to me to see this movie, Emma, which is um, a Chilean language. Well, it's 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 set set place in Chile where he's from. I think. Um, yeah, I think I think it's in Spanish. Now I'm trying to. I think I think I, that's where it is, and um, it's about this young woman who is a dance dancer. She might be a dance instructor, and who is kind of put on the outs from her adoptive son for something kind of. And you're kind of unaware of like what exactly happened, but basically she either had the the child taken away from her or she abandoned the child. And so her and her husband, who's played by um, Gael Garcia Bernal, are kind of um, ostracized from the community a little bit. And so she goes about sort of um, this whole thing of... I guess wending her way into the lives of the new, the foster parents of the kid in very interesting ways. This is a very, very kind of uh, sensual movie. This is about a person who's using her sexuality in, in a lot of ways. And there's also just like a lot of dance in the movie and it's just visually is, is such a pleasure to watch. And it's kind of one of these great movies about watching someone kind of really cleverly manipulate a lot of people and she's not really a good person or like in the in the conventional sense but it's it's fun to watch it kind of it reminds me like of a femme fatale a little bit in the film noir except you're following her Mm -hmm. and you're seeing her kind of just play these people and it's it's really 
so beautifully done and I think in, in some ways emotionally satisfying and just a gorgeous I mean if it wasn't for for you know the legend himself Steven Spielberg coming in at the end of the year this would be you know some of the best dance photography in in many movie I've seen and um, I just think it's a, it's a really really compelling movie and really really sort of uh, um, entertaining to watch this this woman her the actress I think her name is Mariana. Uh, Di Girolamo or something like that and um, she's just fantastic I've never seen her before but I'd highly recommend uh, this movie just to, to see her and her her manipulations and you know uh, yeah just very very fun movie but but beautiful beautiful look I think you would enjoy the look of this movie also um, it's totally different also than his his biopics he makes but but great in its own way so that's my number six I don't know if it counts because it says 2019 on IMDb. So, um, yeah. well, I'm just, no, that's that's <laughs> I'm putting the last duel on your top 10 Jews. That was what I'm saying. <laughs> that's, no, that's no. That, the only reason it wouldn't count is because of the 2020 release. There's plenty of movies that are that come out. If they come out in 2020, they're counted for 2021. Yeah, I, know, I know. I know. You, just, we do this by American release date. <laughs> Sorry to any of our international listeners, but that's just the way. All right. Well, my number five is Red Rocket by Sean Baker. Um, What a fun, um, uh, disturbing, hilarious, um, wacky, absurd movie. Um, And in a lot of ways, uh, this this is a movie that um, I feel like if you like Baker movies, um, you know, this this is going to be for you. But it's it's I don't I wouldn't say it's for everybody. This is a this is kind of a hangout sure. movie with a despicable person. So, <laughs> you know, yeah, in, in yeah. a lot of ways, you you know, so most people won't want to to, you know, experience that, I would say. I, I didn't even think of it, but it's actually very similar to Emma because they're both about these very, very like good looking appealing people who are very fun to be around but who are really manipulating people right and right. it's just fun to watch them though this is more disturbing because there's an element of like um grooming and yeah, yeah i guess if we're gonna spoil yeah aspect of kind of grooming to it um you know the, emma deals more with just adults um it's more like but but in 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 red rocket um He's he, like, if you met this guy, well, actually, if you met him at first, you <laughs> might just think he's a really charming guy because yeah. he's like this fun guy and he's he's very funny and it's a pleasure to watch him. He's so good in the movie. Um, but at the same time, and that that's what makes it interesting where you're going, uh, but then you're realizing more and more aspects of this person are are very ugly. Right. Um, and, and and there's it's it. it <laughs> it's so funny because it kind of takes a. a an opposite turn of like Titan where that movie becomes, you know, it goes from disturbing to wholesome. This movie, Mm -hmm. you know, I wouldn't say it starts off as wholesome necessarily, but you know, it, it, you know, goes from being sort of this very fun and uh, enjoyable kind of hangout movie with a backdrop of very, very poor. um, I think they're in Texas, right? Um, You know, Mm -hmm. I think very, very poor, rural community um that you know next to like an an oil plant or you know something like that and and then it you know goes from this this hangout movie to a disturbing character study on someone who is extremely manipulative um and who is his 
just an awful, awful person. Um, mm-hmm. But all the way throughout, you have a sense that, um, like, he could win you over. <laughs> you know, there, there's a it's it's kind of weird how how Baker is able to do this, but. Um, like throughout the movie, you're like, no, no, he could turn around. I mean, I could, I could get on board with this guy, um, because he is so charming and he is so funny. Um, and there's so much, uh, there's so much joy in the movie, uh, sort of throughout. Um, but at the same time, it's, it's the backdrop is something very, very dark. Um, Mm -hmm. and that is what I think makes this movie brilliant is because, um, that darkness really sneaks in on you. Um, that the sort of the element of, of extreme depravity, both in the sort of moral sense and in the, um, the, you know, economic sense in a lot of ways, you know, everything Mm -hmm. sort of seeps its way in from this, you know, very fixated, uh, movie about, you know, this one character, um, it all sort of mm-hmm. creeps in by the end. Um, and you know, with the final shots, you're like, wow, this is, there's something really brilliant about the way that, that it's portrayed. I mean, it, it's a, it's a great portrayal of, of the, the power charismatic person can have over people. And, and, um, and it just also is just has such a sense of, of realism to it. Uh, Sean Baker, who also made you know the Florida Project and Tangerine, is known for m- mostly casting you know people from the areas he's shooting. Usually, act people have never acted before, and everyone in the movie is great, even despite not being professional actors. And the lead actor who is, um, I mean, he's acted in some stuff, but not really anything this serious. I think. Um, He's more like known for like is it like MTV stuff and I mean well initially he was a porn actor yeah but, I'm not, um, I'm not sure what he did before but like he, he scary was not a guy who was taking movies, I guess. yeah yeah and he was he was also a rapper um so he, he you know and he knows about the world he's inhabiting because right. it's about a, a a porn actor who's like in his forties and has sort of been kicked to the curb and is trying to sort of get his mojo back and. Um, it's just such a brilliant performance and, and it's, it's so much fun to watch. You'd be surprised how fun it is to watch this guy. Cause every time I describe this movie to someone, <laughs> they're like, ew, gross. Like, why would I want to watch this? Movie yeah. That's a, it sounds sleazy. But, um, but it's, and it is a little sleazy, but it's, it's extremely funny and, um, and heart, I think heartfelt too, because, um, mm-hmm. at, on some level y- you get the sense that he doesn't really, see what he's doing as being wrong it's not that he Mm -hmm. he you know is like this evil manipulative person it's he Mm -hmm. he just is completely blind to the fact that other people have agency (laughs) over their own lives and so you know he right he he doesn't see people as as people really um he sees them as as things that he can use to to you know take advantage basically um yeah and you know in a lot of ways, that is how I think, you know, people who are extremely manipulative, I think that's how they probably operate in the world. So sure, I think it's sure. it's very realistic in the way that basically only Sean Baker movies are, um, you know, mm. and then I, I think we were talking about it, how there's there's these long moments where they're kind of just walking 
through the neighborhood um and mm-hmm. you know just just sort of nothing's really happening in the movie but but they're they're seeing sort of it's back like what you're seeing is is how they live essentially um yeah. which is very much a um a sean baker staple so i i love this movie yeah. i think it's i think it's so funny um and goofy and dark at the same time it's it's really it's a joy to watch i i you know i would recommend it to people who are uh, you know able to sort of stomach this thing because yeah and it's not it's not super like this it's not disturbing and like you're not going to watch anything like horrifying on screen it's more just about what you know this guy is his motivations are actually that's what's disturbing and um yeah, and it's and it's kind of a beautiful movie too. For for his, his the way he shoots these places is is quite beautiful. And um, yeah, I think he's just a really talented filmmaker. And I kind of think this is his best movie so far. Mm. Um, and I kind of am even like maybe this should have been. This is this is this. I had this like fifteenth or something, and like yeah, maybe this could have been higher. You know, this is this is pretty good stuff. Um, definitely one of the better films, and and also just very funny. Um, but should I go to my yeah. uh, number five? Yeah. Okay, I, I'm going to guess this will probably be on your list, too, is the film Pig. Um, yeah, it's my number four. Have, so. Okay, okay. And Pig is um, the Nicolas Cage. Oh, you guys talked about Pig also, We did, you? yeah. Um, yeah, Nicolas Cage movie about this, you know, guy who's out in the wilderness with his pig and has the truffle hunting pig stolen. And it's... Uh, you know, it's it's so different than what you picture initially, you know, based on the <laughs> the, pitch, the premise, yeah. you know, because I remember I texted you like almost joking, like, hey, you want to go see this movie? And you're like, oh, hell yeah. You know, and it was and it's then it's like this beautiful, like Paris, Texas esque um, contemplative movie about this person kind of um, who's cut himself off from from society and having to return to it. Um, anyway, we shouldn't belabor it too much because you've talked about it, but. Yeah, and um, about it's a beautiful movie. about sort of grief and um, mm-hmm. not not letting go of of the you know terrible sadness that plagues you. Um, mm-hmm. And then on the on the flip side, it's about uh, it's about family. Um, it's about sort of relationships that you're uh, you're unable to reconcile. Um, in the mm-hmm. Things that are um, you know selfish motivations. Uh, the love of a of a craft and of a, uh, of a trade in, in some ways, you know, the artistry mm-hmm. that's made from, um, doing something to like its perfection. Um, mm-hmm. and the, the, the most beautiful sequence of cooking and eating that has ever been filmed, maybe like since Ratatouille, <laughs> uh, other than Ratatouille. <laughs> you know, yeah, very important. and it's like, it's, it's, there's so much, uh, that is genuinely, um excellent about this movie it's 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 so so yeah. good and probably cage's best performance i would say yeah yeah it's definitely up there he's 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 wonderful in the movie and yeah it's a very it's a very quiet movie but it's just it's so beautifully written and it's his first time filmmaker michael sarnowski and um he he you know it's, you can tell it's a very like small budget movie and and it has not a lot of um um you know, spectacle to it, obviously, but they're just some great, you know, that scene where he goes to the restaurant and lays into that chef is yeah. one of my favorite scenes in any movie last year. And, um, 
it's it's just a very touching movie. Also, Alex Wolf, who's in the movie, we shouldn't forget him. He's he's terrific um, as well. He, he was the kid in Hereditary, um, and I think um, yeah, it's 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 the best. Is it the best food movie since Ratatouille? I mean, certainly the best since Chef. Um, and it's you know don't get put off by. I know some people. I, I just have not jumped on the Nicolas Cage train. <laughs> I, I feel like he, the it, the tides are turning. Totally, though. like people are coming back to th- seeing him as a serious. We actor. were early in that um, uh, in that return to Nicolas Cage yeah. trend. So uh, we we were at least in the Mandy uh, period where yeah. we were enjoying Mandy a lot. Um, but yeah, so Cage is um, wonderful in that, and and I look forward to whatever Sarnowski. Uh, does next yeah um so then that was your number four can i just do my number four because i yes and i don't think this is on your list um i my number four is um and these these like two through four are almost interchangeable to me but my number four that i put is the worst person in the world which um you didn't get to see I this didn't, right no. this is a film from um i believe norway and it's um it's about this sort of younger woman she's i guess in her early 30s kind of trying to figure out her life and, and particularly her relationships with her. Um, I think she's married to the guy, but at least they're, they're partners living together and kind of, it ends up being this great movie about the sort of dissatisfaction in life of like feeling like you're like, is this all my life adds up to, you know, I'm you're 30 years old and it's like, I haven't accomplished what I want to. And um, you know, I'm not getting, even though this guy is lovely, you know, there's, there's things I want out of the relationship that I'm not getting. And, um, it's told in a very interesting way where it's, it's in, I think 10 parts and they're all, all the parts are very different size. Some of them are one minute. Some of them are like 30 minutes and, um, they end up being these sort of snapshots of this young woman's life. Who's phenomenally played by this actress. I had never seen before named, uh, Renata Rienzve, I think how you say it and it's just a beautifully beautifully made movie so many scenes where he just lets you sort of live with these characters and kind of um understand their complexity again i don't want to spoil too much of it but there's like so many just great sequences there's one sequence where um i won't say about that one there's, there's another where um she meets this guy at a at a party and they end up sort of sharing this kind of um, connection, but not wanting to cheat on their significant others. So they kind of share these different, I guess I'll say forms of intimacy that don't broach cheating, you know? And, and it was so sort of strange and beautiful. Like, like they, they don't kiss, but they like blowing like smoke into each other's mouths. It's this great visual in the movie. Um, and then also it just ends up being this great film about, um, you know, getting older and feeling sort of out of time because her boyfriend is a little bit older. He's like in her, in his forties, I think. Um, and he is so wonderful in the movie. Anders Danielson Lee, I think is his name. And he was also in a very good movie called Bergman Island, uh, last year also. And, um, it ends up being, you know, also about his kind of contemplation of like feeling like he's out of touch with the times cause he's an artist. And there's this fantastic scene where he gets into kind of like a, um, argument about like political correctness or something on on a tv show and it was like one of the few times i've seen that kind of topic portrayed in a way that felt actually realistic rather than patronizing or simplistic like it felt like that's that's the way that would go on tv and he's just wonderful in the movie and as is the other guy 
in uh, Herbert Nordrum. Um, anyway, this this was by a filmmaker named Joachim Trier, who made a film called Thelma, and um, also Oslo, August 31st. Um, and I've, I've seen a few, I didn't see Oslo, I saw Louder Than Bombs and Thelma, and he's been someone who I thought was like pr- a pretty good filmmaker, but this is by far the best thing he's made, at least that I've seen. And um, he should have won Best uh, Foreign Language Film, certainly. He was, um, in fact, I mean, the film should have been nominated for Best Picture. Um, it, it's it's just a wonderful, you know, some people have compared it to Frances Ha a little bit because that's another movie about like a woman in her 30s with Greta Gerwig. Um, but I don't know, this one, I, I love Frances Ha. I thought this cut even deeper than that. And um, it's just so beautifully written and, and acted and um, great, great music in it. And um, it, it just it feels like a very, very... Um, Depth, uh, deep portrait of 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 a person and 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 all the complexities of her life and all the the conflicts in in what she wants out of life and um yeah it's a great 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 movie so um should go to your number three yes. i think it might be my number my three. number three is west side story um so not oh, okay. your number three i know what your number three is um okay, okay. which is what well, should we well okay. I, let's yeah, let's fine. do the three the three two one then because i think they're all kind of well, two and three yeah, are yeah. probably my, your two and one, right? Yes, yes. Yeah, we, we, it's, we basically have just licorice pizza and West Side yeah. Story. And oh, then I have one in my... Uh, do okay. th- you do your uh, three first. Yeah, my number three is licorice pizza. That's your number two. Yes. So we'll talk about that. That is Paul Thomas Anderson's uh, latest film, uh, which is kind of a, how do you describe it? A hangout film. Um, with starring uh, the son of Philip Seymour Hoffman, Cooper Hoffman, and Alana Heim of the sister band Heim. Um, and, you know, both their first time movies. And I don't know, I just think this is this movie, I've, I've, I've already seen it like five times <laughs> in the theater. Like, I, it's, it's now just, it's, it's becoming already like a classic that I just enjoy. Yeah sitting in the world almost the way like dazed and confused or American graffiti. Um, I do. And just these, all these characters and, um, it, it's, it's interesting cause it, the first time I saw it, I was kind of mixed about it. In fact, I, the podcast <laughs> we did about it, I'm, it's really a weird thing to listen to. Cause I was, I definitely liked it a lot, but I was not over the moon about it, but I think I was really wrong about how meandering the film is because it feels meandering, but it's only that way insofar as it's portraying what it's like real life and there actually is a sense of the progression of the relationship and it you know this sort of back and forth between them of um this sort of it's like a relationship that can't work out there's this you know and and by making it between these people who you know one is in their 20s and he's like 15 i think um creates a like a like a genuine barrier between them, but it makes the movie also speak for any relationship that, you know, you might have in your life where it's like something that is like a little bit between romance and platonic, like it's deeper than a platonic relationship. Um, but it can't kind of, you know, breach that gap all the way into romantic. And, um, it's, it's just such a brilliantly complex relationship. And, uh, I assume you feel you're number two, so you, you feel the same way. I yeah, no, a hundred percent. But even more so, I think I think the movie is just genuinely fun and um, enjoyable to watch. I mean, I think I think the relationship element is 
extremely deep and so well done. Um, and, and I think um, it might be the thing that gets um, highlighted, I guess, the most about the movie it, it, in that mm. people talk about the underage relationship and like what, you know, what that means for the movie, which, you know, I, yeah. I obviously um, it's not my main focus of, of, you know, what is amazing well, about the th movie. those complaints are wrong for such a litany of reasons that I don't even need to get into right, right. now. But. And, and I think, I think the, the actual highlight of the movie really should be sort of how, how, how these characters are portrayed so well as um, almost like uh, they're, they're like, um, they're like so, iconic of this era um they're they're these these characters who are portraying um y you know i don't know there's there's something about them that is that is so deeply woven in through sort of how the era um you know is situated in our minds like how we look about the the people of the era and and sort of the attitudes mm -hmm. of the era um sure. and and in the same way they're so they're such genuine people um, and they feel so real um, and their relationship feels so um, confused in a really realistic mm -hmm. way um, where mm -hmm. nothing is really clearly defined. They don't really have boundaries at all or like things that they, um, you know, there's nothing explicit about, about what they're doing. Um, you know, they, they're not, mm -hmm. they're not in a relationship, but they're not really friends either. There's jealousy and there's, yeah. um, yeah, there's, yeah, yeah. you know, uh, feelings of, of betrayal, uh, even, you know, where it's, it might not be warranted. Um, and you know, in, in some ways that's so true to life, but also it, it feels, um, like it feels like these people, these characters are well inhabited. Um, they mm -hmm. feel genuine. Um, and it's, it's an amazing, and on top of that, there are so many side stories and cameos yeah. and, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. beautiful moments that are so fun and enjoyable. Um, and it is really like a hangout movie in a lot of ways. Um, it, and it mm -hmm. feels, uh, it feels so like sweet and wholesome, um, and mm -hmm. it's like the most, yeah. uh, the most straightforward thing that PTA has ever done in a lot of ways. Um, K kind of, kind of, but there, again, there is that darkness just a little bit in, in aspects of the movie in the same way dazed and graffiti yeah. are joyous, fun movies and very funny, but there is a little bit of the capturing that there's something a little bit not right sure, in the era, sure. you know, which is, you know, sometimes comes out in like, you know, the treatment of women or racism or, you know, even just the kind of, um, you know, cavalier attitudes towards safety. Yeah. yeah. A particular one scene. Um, <laughs> and, and I think it's, it's a great portrayal of, of the time. And it's such a, like a fully rounded, you know, 360 yes. view of, of, the early 1970s and it's like warts and, love, and all view yeah. of the 70s exactly know? it's very much yeah. a, a a loving but also a little bit disappointed <laughs> look at yeah uh, you know yeah. that era and it's funny because yeah i'm like anderson was only he was only three years like he didn't actually live through it consciously <laughs> but he whatever he about it he's he's able to tap right into it just like he did in in a uh, boogie nights yeah. and 
I think, I think, and then at the core, I think the movie is a, is such a great um, exploration of people who, um, kind of a little bit like worst person in the world, have are having trouble growing up and growing into adulthood. And you have this great contrast of this kid who is uh, far, um, like thinks he's come into adulthood because of the way he behaves, even though he's not an adult. And there's parts of him that are very immature, but because he has a business and he has, he's very confident, he has the sense of himself as an adult. And then there's this young woman who is in her twenties, but you know, feels still like a kid and she doesn't really have direction in her life. And there's this sort of sense of, of, um, of uncertainty there. And then there's this sense of between them as like the two of them, like complete each other in a different ways. And it's like her way of spending time with him is like her way of like holding on to her childhood basically. And, 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 you know, pretend she's still a teenager, I guess. And, and him being with her is him imagining he's an adult in a way. And, (laughs) and, and it's, 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 it's such a great sort of exploration of that kind of, uh, that kind of uncertainty and dissatisfaction when, when you're, at the precipice of adulthood, either literally as, you know, a teenager or figuratively as just a person in your twenties who, you know, doesn't feel like you are, you know, you really where you should be. And I think, um, it's just such a great work by the two of them at, for being first time performers, yeah. you know, cause, 100%. cause what they do is, is extraordinary and it's just funny. It's a funny <laughs> it's movie. So funny. It's, it's delightful. It looks incredible. Anderson is now his own DP <laughs> and he's just doing amazing work. Just visually speaking. Bradley Cooper um, is just off the chain. Yeah. Bradley <laughs> Cooper, Tom Waits, Sean Penn, like all these great, Oh my God, we got, we can't forget Harriet Sansom Harris, the casting lady. Oh yes, She yes. is amazing. Like the <laughs> one scene performance of the year. Like she should have gotten an Oscar yeah, nomination yeah, for that. Yeah. That was unbelievable. Um, she was also in his movie Phantom Thread and, um, so yeah, so many just memorable, um, moments and characters and, and, you know, and it all, oh, Benny Safdie mm-hmm. also. Um, and it ends up, and it, but it ends up really like adding up to something about, you know, her, her, you know, thinking she's, she's, you know, crossed the path into adulthood and then, or they both feel that way at a certain point in the movie, but it's, but it's, then there's, you know, that uncertainty comes back and, um, it's just it's it's such a beautiful movie. Maybe this almost could be my number two now that I'm talking about it because it's just it's it's so enjoyable and um, it's certainly um, it might be the movie I I might return to the most from the year yeah. just in terms of pure fun. Um, can I just talk about my number two because I realize actually you haven't seen yeah, do it my number two. Um, so this is a film called Nine Days, which um, is um, another first time director named Edson Oda. And it's um, a film that essentially takes place in a kind of way station between um, uh, like before uh, where souls are taken before they are put into human bodies, essentially. Now, none of the film is portrayed in a in a weird way. These souls are just portrayed as regular looking people, but they come in and they're interviewed by this main character, Will, for the opportunity to. Um, live on earth so the film becomes sort of this um i guess exploration of like the qualities that are necessary for survival as a human being and him sort of like trying to parse out who would be the most capable of surviving in the harshness of life on earth and also there's this element of him 
he all the souls that he lets into the real world he then watches on these old tv screens he has a bunch of tv screens in his house and he sort of watches them and i think what's moving about it is there's an aspect to it that is a little bit akin to um fatherhood or is akin to to watching your children as a parent and the feeling of like hoping for success and being you know saddened and living sort of vicariously through um the failures and successes of of your children and the guy who plays the um the selector of souls i don't know what his title really is but um is winston duke who i would say is most known for playing like M'Baku in Black Panther. You know, <laughs> yeah. he's like the 10th lead of Black Panther and he's, um, he plays the father in us. He's actually very funny in us by Jordan Peele, but this movie, nothing, nothing in though he's great in those movies, but this movie is just like where you're, you, I go, Oh my God, this guy is an incredible actor. And it's a really restrained performance, at least for most of the movie. And, um, he, he talks very quietly and very slowly. It's a little like a, it's a little, there's a, like a little bit of a Mark Rylance aspect to it, actually, that kind of soft spoken quality and very like delicate way of putting things. But he is, he's so wonderful. And then the kind of soul who ends up getting his attention the most is played by Zazie Beats, who again, most well known for playing Domino in Deadpool 2. Um, but she's wonderful in the movie and and um you know both of these people should have been oscar nominated and then also again best known for a superhero movie is benedict wong who i think his character's name wong in the doctor strange movies he plays sort of uh, winston duke's buddy or so his confidant i guess in the in the soul pre-life world whatever this is um and he is he is so funny and he's as kind of expressive and hilarious and um, emotionally open as Winston Duke is closed off and they make such a, such a great pairing. And um, yeah, it's, it's, it's a, it's a kind of a, a movie where it doesn't explain everything you're seeing, you know, there's, I, which I like in some kind of fa- fantasy movies, like in some ways it reminds me kind of the feeling of like field of dreams, mm. you know, where you don't know why this is happening, but you kind of, you understand it nonetheless yeah. and you get what the emotionally what the filmmaker is getting at. And I think this this movie does that beautifully. It also has my favorite score of any. Uh, well, uh, after the TV series Underground Railroad, the best score of any movie this year, really beautiful violin uh, led score. And um, and then and also a nice there's a nice supporting cast of um, different people who are playing the other sole candidates, including uh, Tony Hale, AKA Buster Bluth from Arrested <laughs> Development, who actually is kind of a funny character in the movie and, and, and actually a really good performance by him. Um, so it's, it's a movie I'd, I'd highly recommend seeking out. It totally, you know, probably played for a week in a theater and has gotten weirdly of all of all the movies we've talked about. It's probably the least discussed on any top 10 mm. list. I, I very rarely saw it talked about at the end of the year. And I think it's a real shame because it's, it's, you know, for a while is actually my number one of the year. And, you know, we can talk more about how my opinion of my number one has shifted <laughs> over my viewings of it. But I think it's it's a really impressive piece of work, especially for as a first movie. And I think um, I'm excited to see what this guy um, does next because he has a great, um, a great vision and just a really unique um, movie. Oh, and unique, though, I do say that with an asterisk because there is an aspect of this. This is very... Um, taken from the Japanese movie Afterlife, which 
of course, anyone listening has probably has never seen, so <laughs> that doesn't really matter. But he is that's definitely an influence on this movie. Um, but but it is it is still something quite quite singular. Um, so you're okay. So we're done. You've done your number one. Yes. We're doing the, you're doing the Beatles yes. concert. My number three uh, is your number one. So we'll, let's talk about it. Okay. Um, West side story, uh, mm-hmm. is just a, a fabulous movie. It's, there's, it's, I mean, I could have changed licorice pizza and West side story, you know, actually all three of my first, you know, one, two, and three mm-hmm. are pretty much, interchangeable i would say although the the reason i put get back as first is because it is so much i mean the way that we saw it i think is just like on another level so it, it's it's hard true, to it's true. hard to put that into regular context for you know people who just watch it on their like 50 inch tv or whatever <laughs> you know it's right, it's probably right. not going to be the same but and in the same way i think west side story um really benefited i mean i saw it twice in theaters and it is such a vibrant, um, amazing looking, fluid, um, oh you know, it, it is a movie that is unlike anything else um, in, you know, the what's come out this year, basically. Um, and it's unreal. It, it, yeah. it, it's the talent involved in making this movie look the way that it does. Um I mean, it's, it's something else. And I mean, I came out of it the first time, absolutely blown away. Um, and I came out the second and, and I almost, I, I like regulated my thoughts about it too, a little bit, because I was like, I was like, well, it is such a, um, you know, fluid movie and it's an action packed movie. Like maybe I'm just kind of, um, blown away by the spectacle of it. Spectacle, yeah. Um, and I think mm-hmm. actually the first time I was, I didn't really get the emotional aspect of it. Um, and then I saw mm-hmm. it a second time with Isaac and my mom. Um, and mm-hmm. that time I was, <laughs> I was, yeah, I, I was, I was really taken by the emotion and less by the spectacle. Yeah. And I think um, it's another one of the, these movies that um, other than it just being, a ton of fun and worth seeing more than once it benefits from seeing it more than once because you get the, you know, I think you get a little bit of whiplash the first time. Um, not that it does too much, but it, it really, um, is on such a high level that it's hard to like, it's hard to catch your breath a little bit. And it's, and it's also just so different than most, movies that are made like the sincerity and the open heartedness of it. And also the desire to go sort of full operatic, um, and and also go full into like, you know, tragedy, you know, that's pretty rare. You watch movies that are in the tragedy genre, um, in 2021. And I think, um, I mean, obviously based on Romeo and Juliet, so it's not, (laughs) you know, sure. Sure. Yeah. There's the, you, you kind of know, and yeah, you know, the story going in kind of, and, um, I, it's, it's, I mean, and I'm, I apologize also cause I'm sure people listening to this are, you know, many people are sick of hearing me talk about this movie <laughs> cause I just, all I've been talking about for the last half year now, but it's, um, it was such a weird experience to watch it all these different times because I was so, I had such a different feeling about it the first time and there's so much about it. I think it partly was that getting on the wavelength of it being 
hyper realistic, you know, because there's an aspect of it that's, um, you know, oh, you have to believe two people fall in love in 24 hours <laughs> and want to run off together. You know, there's yeah, parts yeah, of it that yeah. are not literally real, but once you accept it as a sort of like an opera, um, you have, you can get into the groove of it. And also I think the, my feeling about the original movie, um, colored th- this one. Cause I didn't like the original movie that much. And I actually still don't, I'm not that crazy about it. And certainly it doesn't hold a candle to this movie in terms of, uh, visuals and staging, um, and acting actually. Um, but you know, and also maybe I was tired. Like there's just all these things that made me kind of like not even really like the movie that much. And, and, um, over the course of seeing it many, I, th- I think I saw it five times in the theater. It, it, it rose and rose in my estimation and became almost like this like roller coaster. I felt like I was like in, in Disneyland, just getting on the same thing over and over just because of like the adventure of, um, the joy, the pure joy of the visuals and the music of the movie. And then, and then of course the sort of, um, em- em- emotion of the last, especially the last, you know, 40 minutes of the movie. Um, it's it's probably the best Spielberg movie of the last fifteen years. Probably probably the best since Munich, um, as, which is means it's I'm saying it's better than Bridge of Spies. Which <laughs> anyone who knows me is that's that's a no small feat. Um, it's I might be the most beautiful film he's ever made. Which I is, I actually agree. I think in, it is the most beautiful. insane to say, but it's like the greatest achievement of Janusz Kaminski. I think um, his cinematographer and. Um, yeah, there's there's just such a like he, you you feel as you watch the movie, you're you're getting in touch with like the grand like themes of of life itself of like the battle of good and evil and love and hate like you can you can talk about those sort of grand ideas in the um, scale of the movie and the scale of the film's emotions because it's that huge and I, um, the 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 '60s movie doesn't touch that well as and much. I think also. Um, no, not just, you know, there are these themes of, of like requited love and, you know, everything else uh, that is certainly, you know, there in the source material, Romeo and Juliet. But then on top of it, it's a story about sort of um, being lost in a, a broken uh, community, uh, being mm-hmm. sort of filled in by by people who may not have your best interest. Um, you know, the the sort of camaraderie of that lifestyle of being a part of of, of a gang and um you know and and the and the blindness of like what that does. It's sort of the the us versus them mentality. Um and it does exactly. it all in yeah. such a um it's such an effortless way. It doesn't, it doesn't, you know, it doesn't shy away from anything that is clearly going on. I mean, it's obviously a very, um, it's a, it's a racial movie, you know, it's about sort of, um, you know, an, an Irish gang or a white gang, um, versus Mm a, um, a Puerto Rican gang. Um, and Mm -hmm. you know, and it doesn't, it's, it, it, it's not, um, it doesn't pull those punches there, you know, it doesn't feel like, like everybody is sort of painted in, in some ways. Um, and, and it feels very, very human, um, in the way that it portrays mm-hmm. these people. Um, and you're kind of on the side of everybody as well, which is interesting. You, you, Oh yeah. Very you like so. everybody and you don't really want them to, <laughs> to kill each other, <laughs> which, you know, inevitably yeah. you, they end up yeah. doing. So. 
I think it ends up being like so moving um, that 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 dance scene, the gym scene, not only is so moved. I mean, like I moved by it because it's like the most beautiful choreography of dance and um, cinematography like maybe I've ever seen. But um, it's also moving because it's like you're getting a sense of like this is the world as it could be. These people who are dancing to opposite each other combatively but really they're all just having a good time and when you know what's coming it, it it you get this sort of tragedy to it um but but with all these changes and all this sort of um aspiration to make a, a movie about quote-unquote now spielberg and and the writer tony kushner never they never get into didacticism and they never get make it an obvious you know parallel for now it actually in some ways reminded me i, I wouldn't say black klansman is as good a movie but both of these films feel like these sort of um th- those are the films that felt like most tapped into the feeling now of people being um i don't know like divided people hating each other and also the sense that that really it's like people are getting pitted against mm-hmm. one another um, and especially in West Side Story, there's this sense because of the way he changes the the setting to this, you know, um, community that's getting torn down for, you know, uh, new high rises and, you know, our, the Lincoln Center and whatever. Um, it ends up being this sort of great thing about like, what are these people fighting for? Like, it's all this for sort rebel, of superficial. Yeah. And yeah, and they're and they're they're sort of fighting over, um, you know, each other when when you know, maybe the real enemy is, is somewhere else. And, um, I don't know. And, and, and just on, on a technical level, this is a, just such a, is a peerless film. Yeah. I mean, in terms of, um, the way it looks in terms of the performances, I think, you know, one of the things I was a little mixed about early on was Ansel Elgort, who I've never really liked very much. Yeah. And I mean, well, I will say, I think, I think there's people he could have gotten that are better than Elgort. <laughs> I've come around to liking him. Maybe it's like Stockholm syndrome or something, but I, I really, I think he's really good in the movie. Um, and I think everyone outside of him is extraordinary. Yes. I think Rachel Ziegler is phenomenal and she's like, has this beautiful, beautiful voice. Um, Ariana DeBose as Anita is probably like, probably my favorite performance of the whole year. Um, her performance in the last 30 minutes of the movie is like one of the most moving things I've ever seen. There's a scene between her and, um, Ziegler that is probably, I mean, like one of the best things Spielberg has ever filmed, like Steven Spielberg, (laughs) including E.T., Schindler's List, all that stuff. I would put that scene, the boy like that scene, um, up there. And also, uh, Rita Moreno, who, you know, of course is, you know, 60 years after the original movie, is uh you know playing the the role of the storekeeper and um you know that could have been a tokenistic role but it's she's you know kind of uh you know one of the heart beating hearts of the movie you know and and that and another one of the great scenes he's ever done is her singing somewhere um is is extraordinary um so i don't know (laughs) i've i've said i think (laughs) probably too much about this movie uh, it's brilliant. It's, it's, it's genuinely, yeah, it's, you know, in my, uh, I, I said that 2021 was a terrible year. Um, and I still think it is, but this is <laughs> for movies. Th- yeah. Well. For movies, yeah. Um, but th- this is, you know, one of the redeeming 
uh, one of the several redeeming movies that really is above and beyond kind of anything else um, like it. And and I would say, you know, this and Licorice Pizza are both up there for me with with, you know, how much I love some of the other movies of, you know, maybe like 2019 or something. So um, I oh, just think sure. 2019 yeah. um, was the last greatest year for movies i mean it, it 20 2019 was the greatest year for movies since like 2013 or uh yeah. oh, i don't know four <laughs> or 99 really a lot of the years that end to nine are pretty extraordinary yeah. um and and yeah 2019 2019 was particularly extraordinary but this did feel like especially by the end of the early in the year i agree you're like ah, oh, this is all right but i think by the end of the year i mean look you you also you know there's some stuff you you should catch up on before you pass too much <laughs> judgment because i wouldn't say you know it's not we're not quite at the you know number of great movies coming out that we had in the last years of the previous decade but i think i think we're getting close and um given what i'm seeing on the on the schedule for this next year um i think it's there's definitely um hope that it, it could get even better i mean we've got spielberg and scorsese dropping movies we've got fincher you know there's um inevitably spike lee will do something that i probably never <laughs> even heard of um you know there's there's all all sorts of stuff so um i i think it's i think it's a pretty solid year and and certainly any year that has those top you know five or six movies we talked about is um is is worth uh commending in some way um do you want to just run your list down and then i'll just run mine just for to anyone who wants to write it yeah. down or whatnot um so my number 10 going from 10 to 1 is coda titan dune nightmare alley the last duel red rocket pig west side story licorice pizza and the beatles get back in imax <laughs> the concert <laughs> movie okay um and then okay mine from 10 to 1 is titan uh a hero nyc epicenters the beatles get back emma with one m from 2019 <laughs> um what did i have at five pig worst person in the world licorice pizza nine days and steven spielberg's west side story um so I don't know. Where do you want to go from here? Well, um, I do think we should wrap it up because it's been two hours. Um, so we will mm -hmm. do um, a breakout episode for patrons only. Um, and we'll, we'll do our Oscar uh, picks. So come and join us for that. It'll be a good time. One thing that I did want to ask you, um, did you see mm -hmm. the, the uh, trailer for for the Elvis movie by Boz Lerman. I actually did. It looks really yeah, good. I just saw it. It, it. it looks like it could be good. I, I hope it's not a Bohemian yeah, Rhapsody situation <laughs> where it's super glossy, but then it sucks. But, but I think, but I want I think it to be Lerman good. might yeah. be the right man for the job uh, for this kind of movie. So he, he could be, he could be, I, you know, I hated Moulin Rouge, but I really liked his great Gatsby. Yeah. So, and that's those are the only things I've seen by him. Yeah. So. Well, I like his, um, um, his Romeo plus Juliet. I, I think that movie kind of uh, slaps, okay. but, um, in a, in okay. a mostly ironic, that. but also kind of hilarious way. So, um, yeah. Well, I look forward to it. Yeah, and I liked Tom Hanks as a villain. That's yeah. kind of fun to see. It doesn't happen too often. So, yeah, we'll see in June, I guess. Yeah. 
Well, that's all I have for this episode. Thanks for going along with us, and uh, we'll catch you next time. Cinema Spectator is an ECFS Productions podcast that is fully funded on Patreon.com. Shout out to our producers, Darren O'Neill, for supporting the show and to the rest of you that support us at Patreon.com slash ECFS Productions. If you want to learn more about the benefits you can get, check out our Patreon. The show cannot happen without you great listeners, so we thank you for all your kindness and support.